I, we, we get out on, we get our voices out, and, and that's what we do. We're trying to, you know, you talk about shining light in a dark place. I talk about not hiding your light under a bushel. I mean, it's not a coincidence mm-hmm. that we're here together today talking about these things because I know you feel it. It's, I'm not a theologian. You know, I, I've spent part of my life being very anti-God, but we eventually come around to an understanding that we need some kind of structure. This is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong. Well, good afternoon and welcome to What If We've Been Wrong. Today's show is about what happens when we can turn back to what's been honored for a really long time that ended up giving um, like women's equality, um, something that made the world a much safer place. So, you know, if everybody adhered to what this says, we wouldn't have to worry about being mugged or robbed or killed. Um, we wouldn't have to worry about um, people taking unfair advantage of us. And what could I, could I be talking about? Well, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. But don't cut off, don't cut off your, the radio here. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments and why the Ten Commandments have made a much more secure world and what happens when we turn away from them. Even for atheists, even for people who do not believe in God, why atheists have uh, benefited significantly because of the Ten Commandments. We ended up with a, um, like I said, a much safer world. We ended up with a more of a representative uh, form of government. We ended up with universal human rights. Well, this has to do with the Ten Commandments. And the person I'm interviewing today is none other than Ray Brookstein. And Ray is an author. Uh, He's a poet. And he follows my show uh, at one o'clock. He follows at two with the Trump Chronicle. Uh, so, so we're giving you two hours where we're going to be talking um, about the Ten Commandments. Neither one of us are theologians. But when you just do a little bit of research into the Ten Commandments and how it's benefited the world that we live in, uh, just on a, almost like a common sense level, um, you will see or I believe you will see that uh, we need to return to those Ten Commandments and open up our eyes to see that it's a much safer, much more civilized world that we all benefit from if we just adhere to the Ten Commandments. So, Ray, welcome on to What If We've Been Wrong. Well, thank you, Terry. This is really a pleasure. You know, normally I'm listening to your show and then I follow your show, but here I am on your show, <laughs> so it's a, it's a distinct pleasure, and uh, I, I 
very excited about it. Well, I'm hoping we can have some fun as we kind of um, dig through um, these Ten Commandments. And in fact, we're not even going to label them. We just want to uh, almost like bounce back and forth. So I'm going to be covering five interviewing Ray, and then Ray's going to cover five interviewing me. And um, let's just maybe have some fun as, as we go through this. So um, but the but the one I am going to name is the first one that was I, it says I am the Lord your God uh, who took you out of the land of Egypt you know out of slavery out of the house of bondage and um, and so let's start digging into this one what Ray and this is even for the atheists out there what what does all this mean what's the history of this and and you know, we'll get into why should we care you know what's the implication. Well, uh, one God um, is sort of the foundation of the whole thing, isn't it? It's where it starts. You can call it an, an umbrella. I call it a foundation. It's almost like the First Amendment to divinity. And it's saying that there's one God. So what it does, in my view, is it puts to bed the notion of all of these other entities whether it was a golden calf, the moon, the sun, the stars. And it really sets straight right from the beginning that there's one God. Now, I grew up Jewish, and there's an utterance that's very central to Judaism. And I'm going to say it in Hebrew. I'm not really fluent, but from my learning growing up, and then the translation. And it's known as the Shema. And it goes, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So it really sets the stage that there is no other God. Now, we have different religions in the world, whether it's Eastern religion, Western religion, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, whatever. Different paths, but one God is common to all of it. That's what I get from it. Well, and I think it's uh, we should predicate all this on the history. You know, we it, it starts with Moses. Well, it really starts with the Hebrew people being enslaved. They were in bondage in Egypt. You know, for years and years and years, and then God sets them free, and we're not going to get into all the history of that, but from Pharaoh, finally, um, God releases the, the Hebrews, and that's when he parts the Red Sea, and and Moses and the, the Hebrew uh, people are able to make it through the Red Sea, and for those of you who are like, oh yeah, that's a bunch of hogwash, like, like yeah, like the Red Sea can really be parted, I encourage you to go onto the web Start searching, look for the videography, look what they have now found at the bottom of the Red Sea. They have literally found the chariots um, that were used uh, you know, by the Egyptians as they're chasing after the Hebrew people when the Red Sea closed in on the Egyptians. They're now finding the, the, these old chariots at the bottom of the sea. Uh, which I, I think absolutely fascinating. And so when the people make it to the other side, uh, what, among the first things that God does is he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Um, and so when Moses comes back down from the mountain and the people are worshiping you know, the pagan God, 
the, the holy cow, uh, Moses sets the people straight. And so, so going back to this one God, the people begin to understand, you know, or I guess better, that they're obligated, they're obligated to God to live by the Ten Commandments because God liberated them. He set them free, you know, from this life of bondage, of slavery. Well, that's very true. I mean, they were, they were kind of wandering in the wilderness after being set free, and I believe it was close to 40 years in the desert. Not a very pleasant place to be. And as the story goes, Moses uh, was kind of, call it a light-haired man, but goes up the mountain and he sees the burning bush. And then uh, he goes and before God, not visually seeing him, but feeling God. And then on the way down, like in the movie with Charlton Heston, all of a sudden he's got a bronze face. His hair is like white. So... It was, you know, we talk about these these two tablets, and I find it interesting that, you know, there was five on one side and five on the other. So it was very mm-hmm. symmetric, and it gave them a, a guideline of how to live a life. I mean, I was recently talking with my mom, who's in her 90s, and I was talking about the Ten Commandments. She says, oh, yeah, I, I still live those. Aww. And you're right. <laughs> if we would just live the Ten Commandments, which is really about love, isn't it? It's about loving your fellow man and not letting all of these things get in the way. I mean, one God, God is not, you know, that you work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, 365 days and your God is is money. Reminds me of the movie Wall Street, you know, greed is good. Wouldn't it be nice if we could substitute that with God is good? That is so true. You know, it really gets to me mm-hmm. that this was this was a guide, a way to live a life. And, you know, I think about like the title of your book and your show, What If We've, what if we've Been Wrong? Mm-hmm. And I think about it, where did we go wrong? You know, because we see such strife around the world it's Mm -hmm. like my god is better than your god and allah is better than the jewish god and this is all going on where did we go wrong terry well i i think well well if we were to and i know we haven't gone through all 10 commandments yet but it's giving us the uh, prescription or the recipe uh, for a civil society a society that's safe a society that's um, that where there's honesty, and so we're going to pick through these over the next hour and actually two hours. So we're going to pick through them. But you know, for me, when I think of you know the one God, so if it's true, if it's true, and all this is recorded, I mean it's recorded history, so we know it's true. We know now they're you know now they can provide the physical evidence for the parting of the Red Sea and that poop there are the chariots. So so if you go back and you, and you study this and then you think okay. You know, if we're just if we're a bunch of wild people, but then God gives a, a, a recipe for living a civil society where your fellow human being can be treated in a kind, loving, respectful way. Even an atheist can reap the benefits of a world that lives by 
the Ten Commandments. And just for the record, in every American government school, once upon a time, the Ten Commandments were posted on the walls. That's when children were learning. Oh, do not lie. I mean, parents ought to be teaching their children anyway. But but now that's been stripped from the walls. So let's so maybe well we'll just wrap up that first one that if we that you know God says I'm the Lord your God and He's released us out of the house of bondage. He wants us therefore to be free. So freedom comes from that moral self control of learning these other things that he lays out, such as do not lie, do not steal, these other things that we're going to be covering. So freedom, the real freedom, comes from um, uh, being able to exercise self-control. So freedom is not about, I can do whatever the heck I want to do. That's what we're living in now, right, Ray? It's like, I mean, now it's oh, all yeah. so bad that if I want to be a man and I'm really a biological woman, I, I, can, I can be, I can do whatever I want. That is not freedom. That is bondage to self. I Very true. All right, Ray. Um, let's slip over now and talk about the Sabbath day. Um, to keep the Sabbath day um, you know, holy, uh, no work on the Sabbath day. I still remember when, at least it, on Sundays, you could not find a store open. I mean, literally. But when I was a kid, you could, at least where I lived, you could not find a grocery store open. Um, I, I think I remember, I think it was 7-Elevens that started you know, opening up on Sundays. But anyway, let, walk us through a little bit about the Sabbath day to keep it holy and, and not not work. Why? Why did God say that? Instruct that. Well, I guess as this as the guess as the story goes in Genesis, uh, the creation of the world and the universe, that God built everything in six days, and He Himself rested on the seventh day. So it became a commandment, well, if I'm going to rest, you're going to rest, because that's the world I created. And, you know, I grew up sort of doing that. I've really gotten away for it, from it in my adult life, where in our family we used to, on, for, the, for Jews, it's from sundown on Friday night till sundown on Saturday. So it may be a little different than the Christian Sabbath, but Shabbat was always a very, I don't know, kind of a magical time. We would light candles. We would, the world in effect would stop. There was no television. There was no radio. There were, you know, uh, your job. You like today. You we, we it's like twenty four seven. We never stop. And, but, for many Jews that follow the Sabbath, it's a time of reflection. It's a time to basically shut off the world and just focus on the important things, let's say family and prayer and, you know, uh, rejoicing in, 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 in the work week. And, you know, maybe you can stroll, you're not going to get into your car. Uh, so you focus on neighbors and community where I live in North Miami Beach, you see people walking around on Shabbat all over the place. So, you know, it's it's a shame what's happened now where, and I, I think about Christmas and Easter and the stores are open all the time. There's never a day that just comes to a halt. 
You know, and I know that like Chick-fil-A has taken a lot of heat over the years for not being open on Sunday. And they, they, uh, I got handed to them. They have a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they have taken a lot of heat. But, but, and, it, and it's such a pronounced, it's a, it's so distinct, you know, it's like, oh, it's Sunday, maybe you're traveling and you want to swing in to get something to eat. And then you see that restaurant closed and just by its closure, it makes you realize, oh, you know, in the Christian world, oh, it's Sunday. It's the day of rest, day of peace. Um, you know, and the other thing that I learned in just in preparation for this, it was it therefore granted um, even the animals, you know, the beasts, the animals, yes. a day of dignity, a day of rest, you know, because the animals obviously were used for all the farming, all the agriculture, but even they received a day of rest and recuperation, you know? <laughs> Like, so, so that's one. Yeah, and it, and it extended to servants. It extended to yes. anybody related to your life. Mm-hmm. It, everybody gets to to rest. And I mean, what's wrong with rest? Nothing. I mean, I think about resting on Twitter. You know, maybe I don't, you know, always follow the Sabbath, but at least I know there's usually a day that I just say enough is enough because you know what it's like on Twitter, isn't it? I mean, it can be, it's, it, it, it's addictive. Okay, and I try to at least rest at some point during the week, maybe not a day, but, you know, certainly a half a day. It's hard. We well, get, we're so stuck that's right. in a lifestyle today. Well, and, and again, you know, that, so, so when the, the Lord said to honor, honor God, you know, I am, I am God, I am the Lord, you're God. And he rescued us, the, the Hebrews, out of that house of bondage. We can see today, and that's what we're both saying here, people are living in bondage because it's 24-7. You know, they wake up, they grab their phones. Um, it's constant Twitter. It's constant, constant. That's bondage. And so the Lord says, just rest, be at peace. And in, and in doing so, that's observing that there's a, uh, affirming that there is a creator all right, so don't turn your dial. Ray, Brookstein, and I, we're going to pick our way through the Ten Commandments, and we're hoping it just shines some light into your world, and you too can find some rest this week. We'll be right back. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world, to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity news blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. You're back with Terry Beatley and Ray Brookstein, and we are talking about the recipe, the formula for a safe world, um, a more loving world, where we can treat our neighbors and our family like we want to be treated ourselves, a world where you don't have to worry about being robbed because there would be no theft, a world where um, nobody tells a lie, and a world where there's peace and quiet 
and hey, you want to live in that kind of world? Well, there's a recipe for it. And even if somebody is an atheist, they have already benefited from part of this, from the recipe. And that recipe are the Ten Commandments. And so Ray and I are just kind of picking our way through the Ten Commandments, just doing a little bit of exploration. And I encourage you that even if you do not believe in God, okay, hang in there with us, okay, because you have benefited from a world where, where this recipe, this formula, um, believe it or not, despite how messed up things are right now, but this, um, this formula led to you know, universal human rights. It led to women's equality, and I'm not talking about abortion. Okay, I'm just talking about women not being perceived as property. And it led to uh, more representative governments and... The list goes on and on and on. So, in this next segment, we want to talk about uh, where God says, do not commit adultery and do not covet. And so, Ray, let's talk first about um, do not commit adultery. Let's, let's pick our way through that one. So, adultery, you know, so as God designed it, it's man and woman in marriage, and, and that uh, with that kind of uh, a relationship under you know God ordained marriage, then children can be born into this family unit, where that family unit hopefully will stick together and provide a safe, civil um, uh, environment for the children to grow up in. Uh, but things get messed up if one or both of the people are in adulterous relationships. Uh, Ray, what what did you find out? as you're exploring well, through this um, uh, instruction from the Lord? I think God knew that adultery would completely undermine the family. And this is really the root of the importance of his commandment here. Because if you cheat in a marriage, I mean, that's, it's over. In my opinion, it's very few marriages can ever recover. And it's, I don't know the statistics, it's probably pretty equal on each side where a man cheats in a relationship, the marriage, and a woman cheats in the marriage. And, 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 and what it's really saying is something has gone awfully wrong. I mean, if there's a problem in a marriage, don't you think you should just be honest with each other and say, look, this is going on. What can we do about it? But to cheat, it just really undermines the family. It, it, there was a sacred vow, mm -hmm. wasn't there, Right. about marriage. And God knew that there was a covenant between a man and a woman in this life. And things, I mean, I, I believe people should do everything they want to do pretty much when it comes to relationships and this and that. But either way, you don't cheat in a relationship if you want it to survive. And God knew it. I mean, he made man, he made woman, and, and he, made, he made man and woman with a sex drive. And when you, when you have that, obviously, between man and a woman, um, 
and you what right now I'm thinking about Mike Pence. Remember Mike Pence and how he got ridiculed by not his yes. unwillingness to whatever it was drive down the road with a, a woman in the car and if somebody else was not in the car, all he's doing is recognizing and honoring his marriage and so plus being in such a public um, uh, position. Um, so honoring that marriage, and then recognizing that, you know, these kinds of things can go on. So in order to safeguard against that, that's his way. That was his, you know, that's how he um, exercised his own self-control. Um, plus, it, he doesn't jeopardize any kind of rumor mill, the gossip mill. Oh, did you see Mike Pence was so-and-so riding down the road or whatever that situation was. So... Um, you know, so so God makes us sexual human beings. So I think we're in complete denial um, to pretend that, you know, that that can't happen, that won't happen. And so you put on safeguards. You have to exercise self-control. And so one of the big things is marriage helps to mature a young man. I mean, when he's in a relationship and it's a, a, a married relationship, it helps to mature him. And particularly then when there are children involved, you know, there's only one bar. He's got to step up to that next bar. What do you say? What do you say about that? It it, re- it really is true, and it, it made me think back before uh, I got married. And I was in a long marriage uh, before I got divorced. I was married almost 27 years. And before, uh, about the time of the engagement, like I was in a tennis game with another guy and two women. And I loved that tennis game. There was There was no you know, sexuality going on. We just all love tennis. We were all together playing tennis. But my uh, fiance said, you know, Ray, you got to stop. Because she knew that, and it was a maturing process for me. And I gave up that tennis uh, match that I love so much because I knew to my fiance, it, it was a threat. I can give you another example. I have cousins of mine that, are, you know, Judaism kind of breaks down into th- kind of three groups, if you will. There's a very orthodox group that is very st- strict to the to the Torah, strict to the Ten Commandments and the law. There's conservative Judaism, which is sort of in the middle. It's a it's flexible, but you still, you know, kind of watch things, and then reformed. It's more flexible completely. And I have cousins that are Orthodox. And they just visited Florida about a month or so ago. And, you know, I could not hug my cousin's wife. It's just taboo. You know, um, they even, I will say this, sometimes the women, the Orthodox women, even dress very drab so they don't reflect, you know, something sexual. But I had to, and, I, and finally, you can't even shake hands, let alone hug. You cannot touch an orthodox woman when they're, you know, you just don't. And it like I, I went up to her, I said, you know, you're like my first cousin's wife. Can I even, is it okay that I even shake your hand? And she goes, well, no. So, you know, think about that, that they, it's a self-protective 
It protects the marriage. It protects the sanctity of the marriage. But I think it goes a little too far. Well, yeah, and, and you know, I think I mean, it's these important. These are my cousins, you know. Right. I just want to say, Go I think ahead. it's important for our listeners to know we're we're exploring these things. Okay, we're not saying no. You can't go shake a woman's hands. We're not saying that. But 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 we're just drawing attention back to you know. So God says, do not commit adultery. And it's very interesting to see how different people have work this out. Like in my own marriage, I mean, it's just been difficult for me because I've worked in a man's world for so long that it was, you know, there were times when, yeah, I do have to ride down the road with a man. And I mean, not so much now, but 20 years ago, yes, it was just, I worked in a man's world. And, um, but my husband and I, because of our whatever trust or whatever, we were able to, you know, work that out. He was at peace. I'm at peace or whatever, whatever. So I'm not condemning. If that's how Mike Pence and his wife want to work things out, or if that's how your orthodox cousins. But the main thing is we do what we do to honor and to safeguard against adultery or against, you know, the temptation of adultery. Temptations are real. Temptations, you know, that's that's a real thing. We're human beings. And so, but but we understand that. Like, why did God say, "Do not commit adultery"? It's to it's to protect the family. It's I mean, we, you, yes. I mean, what good is marriage if if all it is is an adulterous relationship? So it is indispensable, you know, for a civilized society. So because because if if you know if you end up with four or five kids and it's like oh adultery and marriage falls apart, you've got one more broken family. Uh, that needs to be taken care of when all along, if they had just honored, don't commit adultery, keep that family unit intact. Um, you know, you're living a yeah. fraudulent lifestyle if, you know, you're you're deceiving your spouse uh, with adultery. I was just thinking what came to mind is this concept of an open marriage. Oh, my gosh. I don't think it's a marriage. No, no, uh, sorry. I, it's, it's like... <laughs> It's a, it's an oxymoron. An open marriage is an oxymoron. Yeah. But I think the message is about boundaries, Terry, mm -hmm. isn't it? That, you know, the temptations are, are so significant that at least to set a boundary is, is, is going by God's word, isn't it? Maybe, you know, you, you know, because I think about coveting and I got to I got to be honest from a, from a male's point of view. We fantasize. It's just how we're built. You know, we we talked about, you know, the sex drive, we talked about, you know, the temptation. And it I guess since we have these fantasies that go on all the time, that's not the issue. It's when you take action against it. But I guess God is saying to not have the thoughts, Terry. Is, is, he, is he going that far to no. break our human nature? Well, no. I mean, well, with Christ, Christ tells us you, we will be tempted. That's, I mean, he lived it out for the 40 days in the desert himself, showing us that even Christ himself will be tempted, but he gives us everything we need not to fall into temptation. So, so no, I think God's fully recognizing he made us in a sexual kind of way. But now, swing back, though, to coveting. Um, you know, yes. so coveting can be, I mean, this term, like coveting, what, a neighbor's wife? Is this what you're talking about? Yeah, coveting a neighbor's wife. Okay, so, th so that's more than just... So you're having a fantasy. Right, okay. Covet, 
to me is to to desire would you say is to watch intently um I, maybe I need a better understanding of what the term covet means. Maybe I'm a little confused. But coveting my neighbor's wife is sort of you're focusing all this attention on this other woman. And I guess he was talking to men um, because he's saying, do not covet my neighbor's wife. So, fellas, he's talking. God is talking to us. He is putting us in charge, I think, of making sure that that marriage is intact. A woman, their role is different. A man has to set the boundaries. And I guess he was talking directly to us, Terry, or he would have said, covet thy neighbor's husband. But he's saying, covet, do not covet my neighbor's wife. Right. And, and it's, I think he's talking to us. And he, he's, it's one of the first, and maybe it's the only one, where he's kind of like legislating our thoughts and so, so coveting is more than just oh, just I want. The coveting is where you're fixated and and you're you're seeking. Mm. You know what doesn't belong to you. Um, so, you know, so if God can you know give us that um, commandment to kind of regulate those thoughts, I mean, it's time to pull back and and say you know get get yourself in order. You know, when I think about. The uh, let's see the how the sexual revolution commandeered the women's rights movement back in the late 1960s, and this is a real thing. Um, the, you know, the women's movement was about equal pay for equal work, um, giving women you know job opportunities and all that. Uh, but the sexual revolution, led by Marxists, led by communists, um, uh, Betty Friedan and Kate Millett. It, it was all about um, uh, you know pushing the sexual ideology into the women's movement. Uh, that we can do a whole show just on that. Uh, but the point I was getting at is they created the cosmopolitan woman. So that Cosmo girl, and I'm talking about literally that Cosmopolitan magazine. Back then, for the most part, there was no Cosmo girl, Cosmo woman. You know that woman who takes that job in corporate America and she wants that man. Even, the, even if that man is married, um, the, they literally invented the Cosmo girl or Cosmo woman. You know, where she's now working that corporate job and she can get whatever she wants. And that was one more step into, I mean, you look at what happened to the divorce rate and this is multifaceted, but just know America uh, and and the, the the daughter of the family that owns the Cosmopolitan magazine, she's out. She's a Christian, and she's exposing what her family did. I'm right now blanking at her name. It's a very common common name. Um, but but anyway, so she's. Do you mean the, the Do you mean the editor of Cosmopolitan magazine in the old days? Well, well, the editor, yeah, the the one, yeah, the woman in charge. She's the one who um, ordered the invention, if you will, of the Cosmo woman. But it's the family. Mm. Gosh, I can't think of the family's name. But neither here nor there. Just know that the daughter, um, she's all over the country exposing um, the uh, the detrimental effect that the Cosmopolitan Woman magazine and the lies that it spews has had on our culture and on marriage. Isn't that crazy? It really is. <laughs> um, you know, women women got empowered 
that they could basically, like you say, have any man they want. Well, and, and which, uh, which was, is really true. Right, the but I just want to draw that. The this... men of the pursuers. You know, the, the women in business, for example, that you were talking about, you're right. They can do basically whatever they want. The, sex, sex is a very powerful tool. And men can very easily get manipulated by that power. I mean, it's like uh, it's like a potion. Like that's what they used to call love potion number nine. That you know, men have to be on guard too to this because uh, this of this sexual revolution. That's it. And and at the end of the day, so God says, do not you know, do not covet you know your neighbor's wife. Do not um, do not commit adultery. And so this, I've had shows where I've interviewed some of the people who played some of these roles back, or they were exposed to it back in the late '60s, early '70s, and they explained in great detail where this was strategically targeted to destroy the American family. And the way they would go out to destroy the family is to go destroy marriage. And the way they would destroy marriage is to promote eroticism, pornography, promiscuity, and the list goes on. And we will be right back. Patriots. Through his widely acclaimed poetry books, The Trump Chronicle, Ray Ray has preserved for us these historic events that have surrounded the first two years of the Trump presidency. His fervent and patriotic poems capture in real time what could have easily been lost or forgotten. The Trump Chronicle is available on Amazon or through the America Out Loud bookstore. Pick up a few of these memorable books for your library. They are a must-have for our MAGA movement. Let's support this important patriotic poet and show host so we can continue to read history through poetry. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multi-nutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. All right, you're back with Terry Beatley and Ray Brookstein, and we're having some fun exploring the Ten Commandments and why those Ten Commandments, whether you're a believer in God or not, those Ten Commandments... Uh, if everybody were to obey them, it just leads to a safer, better, more civil society, a kind of society that you wouldn't even have to worry about being murdered or robbed or lied to. And so, Ray, in this segment, uh, let's just take, I don't know, half of the segment and talk about what does God mean by honoring your father and mother so that your days may be long? 
honor your father and mother. You know, I think a lot of people don't understand this and people sometimes been hurt by their mother and father uh, and or their mother and father. Um, is there a difference between honoring your parents and even loving your parents? What do you think? Well, that's a, a very interesting distinction that I really hadn't thought of. You know, I was aware of the the commandment to honor your, your mother and your father, your father and your mother. But I hadn't thought about it in terms of love because I could see that you know, relationships always get strained, especially parent and child, because a parent makes a lot of sacrifice to have a child. You know, they, uh, their whole, your whole life changes when, when, when that, that child is born or the child is adopted, which in my case, my children are adopted, but either way. And there's a, a lot of sacrifice that's made, but things happen. There's a natural resistance that happens growing up between a parent and a child as they they look for their independence, right, Terry? You know, where you, you, you have your rebellious teens. Uh, sometimes there's, there's words that are said and uh, relationships that really strain. So there's a lot of love lost. But honor is something that should always be there because of the nature of the sacrifice that a parent makes. And I think it's about the circular nature of things because a, a you, you grow up, you're a child, then you become a parent, then you have a child, that child grows up and they become a parent. So think about the cycle of this thing and that's why it's so important. Um, the other aspect is the second part of it, right, Terry, where God says, okay, honor your parents and you'll have a long life or, you know, the, the odds of having a long life are much greater. Now, I think about my own life. I have my father is gone. My mother is still here at 93 and I'm 66. Mm-hmm. So... One of the beauties is I, you know, even though we've had times in our life when there's been strain, at this time, I have to set everything aside and just honor her mm -hmm. and try to understand her and understand that how they feel about the wrinkles and the blotches and the skin and the neck and the, the hair and the feet and you know, I try to put all of that aside, and my hope is that will that will give me a longer life. So well, there's a lot going on here with honoring your parents. I was going to say, I don't even know if I can add anything to what you just said. That was beautiful. And so, folks, I can't wait to tell you about Ray's books, because part of that poetry, Ray, was coming out right then, you know, your description. Um, I had one little note written down, too, though, that it, um, that by children honoring their parents whether they realize it or not, they're recognizing a moral authority above them. And that's a good thing, because that goes back to the first commandment, you know, love the Lord your God. Um, so by honoring your mother and your father, you're recognizing that there is a higher authority in just honoring your parents. And then uh, I think, too, you know, when you honor your parents, uh, you, and, and you're if, if you have children, but you're honoring your parents, 
Your children are seeing how you're honoring their grandparents and they will be, you're showing them how to, they're going to honor you going forward without commanding that of them. It's just almost like natural. It's a natural progression. Like you said, it's like a full circle and it's beautiful. You know, so just with these five commandments that we've been talking about uh, in, in the first, you know, the other two segments, uh, it, it's just, even if it was just those five, the world is such a better place. Marriages stay intact. Moms and dads are honored. And I, I shared with you on the break time that I remember as a teenager, I was going down the wrong road. And my father put his foot down. And I still remember thinking that I hated my father. I don't know, I was 16 years old or something. Just, I just, oh, I couldn't stand the sight of him. And then it took me until probably my 20s, early 20s, when I realized that he was just, um, he was acting his role as a protector over his daughter. And then I just grew to be so thankful for that. So it was that such a rocky period you know, where I felt like I couldn't love him. And then later on in his old age, he ended up uh, living with us in, we had a garage apartment and he lived upstairs in the garage apartment. And so we could really honor him because he really didn't have the finances and all this to live on his own. And um, so anyway, for me, it was more honoring my dad, even than loving him, like in the old age, because he he was still a, Mm -hmm. a grumpy old guy. Uh, but it felt really good to honor my dad until the day he died. You know, Terry, we're talking about honoring our parents, but you know, so it also extends to honoring elderly people. And you know, like we talk about what what's gone wrong. But I'd like to read a poem that I wrote about three years ago. It's called "Elderly Lives Matter." It's not in their wrinkles, nor the color so dim. It's all in the eyes and where they have been, what they have seen, what they have learned, deep in their brow, historically churned. They may be bent over and move ever so slow, but inside they are galloping, getting on with the show. Our elders are precious, but often ignored. We are moving so fast, no time for a word. It doesn't take much, just the littlest things. Just say hello and see the sparkle it brings. Our own may have left us, so what can we do? Act like we know them, introduce yourself to. Though their body is fading, legs, feet, and face, time erodes everyone, but age gives them grace. Look deep in their eyes, notice how blue. Besides making their day, you'll be making yours too. Hooray. Oh my gosh. You're you're probably melting women's hearts out there. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. I had no idea you were going to read that. That's awesome. Well, I just thought it fit in to honoring our parents as they age. And, you know, we're talking about a connection, uh, and it's really about teaching. You, you, really, you really hit it when you said, you know, it's about teaching, and this is the whole thing about the commandments. It's, it's, 
us learning and then us passing it along to our children. Right. And they pass it along to their children. I don't know how many years it's been since Moses came down the mountain and then, you know, Christ came along. I don't know in terms of years, but we're talking many, many, many generations, at least over 2,000 years. Well, Christ has been so 2019. <laughs> 2019, and Moses so had another 2,000, so we're talking about, about at least 4,000 years. 4,000 years, God gave us a, an architectural plan for how to live a life. But it, it, it it's not complicated, though, Terry, is it? It's really not. I mean, but we ma- make it complicated. <laughs> right. Make it complicated. But in itself, it doesn't appear complicated. It's like my mother said, oh, yeah, the Ten Commandments. I live it every day. Like it was like. Like nothing. I mean, it was just that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. And I wish we could see more of this in our lives. I mean, we, you know, you and I, we we get out on, we get our voices out. and, And that's what we do. We're trying to, you know, you talk about shining light in a dark place. I talk about not hiding your light under a bushel. I mean, it's not a coincidence Mm -hmm. that we're here together today talking about these things because I know you feel it. It's I'm not a theologian. You know, I, I've spent part of my life being very anti-God, but we eventually come around to an understanding that we need some kind of structure. And well, I think if we had to. the structure, we'd all be a lot joyous. Absolutely. Well, we're uncivilized. And so some, and I know you know, in the next hour, we're going to be covering the other five. But one of those is, you know, do not murder. I think it's really important to, even for non-believers, you know, golly, I mean, if anybody's listening to this, where you've just, you're at that point in your life where you, you don't believe in God. You know, I just want to challenge you to rethink, uh, rethink it just from a, uh, using logic. You know how so the you know the per you know can somebody be a good person and they don't believe in God? Yes, I mean. However, I think we all need to recognize we're all fallen people. We all fall into sin. Um, that's number one. But number two, can a person just be a nice person and not be a believer in God? Absolutely. Yeah, they can be nice people. But the challenge is, how how do you know that coveting your neighbor's wife? is, you know, what, what's wrong with that? You know, why can't you do that? You know, it's, it's written on our heart. It's written on our heart. But, but if you're like, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe, that's not my opinion. Well, we can apply that to anything. So you take the people, you know, 100 million people minimum, Ray, have been killed by communists mm-hmm. and, and Nazis. That's not even including the soldiers. Yes. Well, what's wrong with that? Which what, what how can anybody say that that's wrong? Well, we well God says it's wrong. So I know I'm getting ahead of myself here. I, I just let me just swing back. Let's just recap, and then I want to talk about the, some of the books that you've written. So we have covered in the past whatever it is forty some minutes um, to you know that I'm the Lord thy God. You know worship God, and and He uh, rescued you know He rescued people out of bondage as He still does today. And then to remember the Sabbath day, to just take a pause. And uh, for all of you who enjoy 
having your, you know, like your weekends off or your Sundays off, you can thank, uh, you can thank God. It came from the Ten Commandments. You're know, saying, take a day of rest. Um, honor your, your father and your mother so your days may be long. You know, do not commit adultery and then do not covet, you know, your neighbor's wife. All right, that's a pretty good recipe and we're only halfway through. Uh, now, I want to tell you more though about Ray uh, Brookstein. Ray has written three books. Um, two are, uh, the, are, are they literally called the Trump Chronicle? Ray, is that right? Well, two of the books are the Trump Chronicle, okay. which reflect, I wrote poetry to chronicle the events of the first two years of the Trump presidency. So there are two books there. The third book, <clears throat> which was really my first book, and that's called Rays of Light, which is a non-political book. In fact, the poem I read, Elderly Lives Matter, is in that book. So if people, you know, want to have that, you know, just uh, go to the America Out Loud bookstore or go to my website and uh, it, it really it really helps. So there are three books. Uh, the Trump Chronicle has two versions. The third is on the way. My plan is to self-publish it again uh, as I am self-published in December. And then there'll be three years of the Trump Chronicle. And uh and if they don't impeach him, throw him out, I'm hoping there'll be a fourth year. And if he gets reelected, I'm talking five, six, seven, and eight. And then I may change the title to Lord of the Kings. <laughs> but I'm just oh. being a little funny. But uh, my goal, uh, Terry, was to chronicle all years of the Trump presidency, as, as many as we have. Hey, Ray, I think it would be sort of fun to give you the opportunity to read a stanza or two of one of your one of the poems um, having to do with President Trump. I don't know, maybe the Russian collusion, you know, the fake Russian collusion. Uh, do you have something handy that you could share with us? I do. Um, Terry, I always have something in my bag of tricks. You know that. <laughs> anyway... Um, I have something I wrote. It, it won't take more than a minute to read. So um, it's called, It's Deja Vu All Over Again. And that's a line from Yogi Berra. We've seen this before. It came into view. They took aim at Bill Barr, just like Kavanaugh too. The same players were there. They assassinate his character crew. White House, Maisie and Bloomy. Booker and Kamala, too. The Senate Judiciary Committee, scoundrels that we've come to know. Only nine months had passed, another big top clown show. Truth never matters, only destroying their name, their service to country, they'll deny, then defame. Collusion was baseless, obstruction their only resort, immature crying and whining about the 22-month Mueller report. Senator Maisie Bird Hirono took center stage. She called him a liar, turned Dr. Seuss in his grave. Yet Brett was confirmed, Bill Barr came out clean. Lindsey Graham stood his ground. Yes, deja vu had been seen. 
Whoa, that's amazing. Does does God just like download this on you, or do you have to like work at the poetry for a long time, or is it just like comes no, out? No, no, it downloads. I really feel Terry, you know, based on our conversation today, especially that everything I do comes from God. He comes into my mind. It comes into my thumbs and onto my iPhone. My poems happen incredibly fast, Terry. That's amazing. I don't give it much thought. It just comes out like a like a download. Well, see, and that's a gift. That's a that's a God given gift. And with that, we're going to wrap up the show. But I do want to encourage everybody to check out Ray's writing. Get get one of his books. Go onto the bookstore in America Out Loud, and also make sure you download our app for uh, Apple and Android. It's called Talk Radio. It's twenty four seven fantastic shows and and then we want you to stay tuned for the trump chronicle where ray is interviewing me on the next five out of ten and we will see you in just a few minutes 